Obviously, if you are familiar with the story of the prodigal son, that is a modern-day depiction of it. And, uh, one of the images that we often talk about when we talk about the prodigal son is this issue of forgiveness, the fact that the father would embrace his son and welcome him back in. But one of the things I want you to see today is that every aspect of that story is about the love of a father. Every aspect, even to the point where he would allow his son to make foolish choices early on, to have the son come to him and say, give me what I deserve, and the father actually give him more than he deserved. That is an incredible model of love. Today I want us to look specifically at what happens when we have that kind of love, when we have not only an earthly father, but a heavenly father who loves us that way. I would like for us to read a passage of scripture. It's not actually the same one that you saw depicted there, but it comes from Philippians chapter 3, verses 12 through 16. And in this passage, we see someone who is on the journey of Christian living. You have a young man, his name is Paul, and he is simply seeking to know the Father. And throughout the entire journey, he is continually confronted with an incredible love that reaches beyond anything that Paul or any of us could ever deserve. Philippians chapter 3, verse 12 through 16 says this, Not that I have already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do. Forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us then who are mature should take such a view of these things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Now, as most of you know, I am blessed with three amazing children. I'm a little bit biased, but I think my kids are just awesome. Although I am nowhere near the perfect dad, the one thing that I try to do constantly is to communicate to them that I love them. I'll do this at ordinary times, like when I get ready to leave or when they're getting ready to go to bed. But sometimes I'll just do it at un usual times. They'll be in the middle of something and I'll stop and I'll say, Alyssa. And I may have to call her name two or three times and she'll come into the room where I am and I'll just say, I just wanted you to know I love you. And there's no particular reason as to why. It's just that's what I do with my kids. Regardless, I want my kids to always know that their daddy loves them very, very much. But the word love has become such a twisted word in our culture. In fact, the following are statements which are often made regarding love. These are messages that our children, my children, and your children hear on a regular basis. Statements like, I love you because of how I feel when I'm with you. What happens when those feelings tend to fade? Will you still love me then? Because if so... Is it really connected with the feelings? If that love is gone because the feelings are gone, then I guess it wasn't really love in the first place. I used to tell couples when I would do premarital counseling with them that on that day where they say I do, they have that incredible feeling of love. 
But what happens, say, six months down the road, two o'clock in the morning, your wife says, honey, I think I'm going to throw up. Can you hold the bucket for me? Do you still feel the same type of love in that moment that you did on the day you said, I do? And typically the answer is no. (laughs) It's not that you don't love them anymore, though, but we've made the assumption that love is about a feeling which is not necessarily true. Another statement, I love you because of the way you treat me. What if he or she makes a foolish choice treating you poorly one day? What if there's a moment of selfishness that gets in the way? Does that mean that the love is not there anymore? I love you because we never fight. You're probably not in much of a relationship if you've never fought. The reality is, sometimes in marriage and relationships, we disagree. We look at things differently. We are independent people, and you may get along with just about everything, but there's going to be that time where, you know, you might not agree with with each other. And what happens when that day arises? Do you still love each other if you disagree with each other? So what is love? This week I decided to ask my children, especially the two younger ones, they were not making the best choices that particular day, if they knew why I loved them so much. Their answers were humorous, yet also fairly accurate to the world in which we live. Alyssa brought up the time that we spend together and her making good choices. Michael simply said that I loved him because he was my favorite. Uh, <laughs> Remember that I tell all my kids that they are my favorites, so it wasn't as if that's, it's, it's partially true, sorry. So why do I love them? I love them because they are mine, because they are the individuals whom God has entrusted to me. They are God's gift to me. It's not dependent on whether or not they perform well, whether they make good choices If they're playing ball and they strike out, I love them just as much as if they hit a home run. If they get an A or they get an F, my love is not dependent on their performance. There's nothing they can do that will make me love them any more or any less than what I do right now. God's love is no different than that. Certainly, he has expectations for each of us, and he always wants the best for us. But nothing shall separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. We need to know that there is grace for each one of us, regardless of how many times we have fallen short. His love is still being extended. There is grace for those who are broken. Truthfully, I I am one who has benefited greatly from this unconditional love that God offers to me. I wish I could tell you that from the moment I surrendered my life to Christ, I began to passionately pursue Christ, and I've never struggled with anything as a child of God. I wish I could tell you that my performance was always good enough where God would look and say, I love him because of the way he lives. But it's not really true. While on the surface I seem very much in control, the truth is that I've had to fight many battles, battles with things like anger and lust and pride and selfishness. One area that many of you have seen this struggle is in playing sports. I am very competitive and I hate the idea of losing, 
I hate the idea of not playing well, and I also hate to admit it, but at times I have probably not handled myself the way that I should. I wonder if I'm the only one who has ever had to struggle with things like that, with anger, with lust, with selfishness, with pride. I wonder if I'm the only one who their performance doesn't truly measure up to the fact that I am already a redeemed child of God. You know, in a way, this is the most frustrating thing within Christianity. It's not that I came to the Lord as a broken individual. Actually, all of us come to the Lord as broken individuals. None of us was perfect before we came to Christ. All of us had sin. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So the issue isn't that I came to God broken, but it becomes a little bit frustrating when the broken world around me still impacts who I am. Here I am, I'm a child of God, I should be completely transformed. I shouldn't struggle with these things anymore. It causes me to question sometimes whether or not I am truly a child of God in the first place because I ought to be so much further along in my walk than what I am. But we're asking a question, we're wondering about our salvation when in reality it's not truly grounded in the work of God. We are told that he who began a good work in us, that he is faithful and he will carry it on to completion. That means that although there may still be struggles and there may be times that I see the old self trying to rise up in me again, God is faithful. And just as he reached into my life in the midst of sin and offered me redemption and salvation, he will continue to reach into my life over and over and over again because he is faithful and he will carry his work on to completion. It's who he is. And in Philippians 3, 12, we read earlier, not that I already have obtained all this, or I'm already perfect. In the ESV, in the English uh, Standard Version, I love the way this is worded. Not that I've already obtained all this or I'm already perfect. I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. Paul is passionately pursuing Christ in this passage. He's not content with merely being forgiven of his sins. He wants to truly make salvation his own. He wants to not only know forgiveness, but to know freedom and to know victory. But it's not something that's in the past tense with Paul. It's something that he's working toward even now. Remember, he's already a child of God. He's already a missionary. He's already one who has preached and led thousands of people to Christ. Yet he says, I press on to take hold of the prize for which God has called me heavenward. So how does he make this salvation his own? He goes back to the root of salvation in the first place, Christ. Remember the great hymn of the church, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Even in salvation, he has received Christ, but he knows that his best option is to turn his eyes upon Jesus. We are works in progress. The truth is that all of us are completely broken and only Christ can make us whole again. 
It may not happen overnight, but it will happen again because he is faithful and will finish what he started. We must continually fix our eyes on Jesus and allow him to transform us from the inside out. He looks at us and he declares that even though our attitudes, our words, our actions, they may not always be what they ought to be. He says, but I am your father and I love you. What an incredible statement of grace. He looks at our brokenness and he says, man, I wish you wouldn't do that. I wish you'd make better choices. But regardless, I love you. What an incredible statement of grace that God offers to each one of us. Yeah, there is no doubt that we are all broken without Jesus Christ. But Christ's grace can make us whole again. For me, this journey began in a small church in Arlington, Virginia. I played a place where I saw faith lived out by primarily a senior generation. Then at a youth camp altar, the faith that I had seen in so many others became my faith. In that moment, God said, this one belongs to me. And he extended to me a grace that simply will not let go. Today, I rejoice because even today, I walk in his grace, still on that journey, still imperfect, yet knowing that his grace is still there. And his love is overwhelming. It's what's described in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 6, which says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with with his pleasure and will, to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. Before you were even created, God desired a personal relationship with you. We're told very clearly that it's not God's will that any should perish, but that all should come to the point of repentance. God planned for you to be a child of God. God planned for you to be in a right relationship with him. And you know why? It's because he loves you. It's because he loves the individual who's driving by right now. He loves the individual that's in the Walmart right now. He loves the individual that's working their job right now. His love is extended to them. And from the moment of creation, God planned for those whom he loved to be in a right relationship with him. He predestined every one of us to experience his love and his grace. In predestining us, he gave us a choice, though. He says, my, it's that image of the father with the prodigal son. Man, that father longed for a right relationship with his son. He wanted to be able to wrap his arms around him, to hold him and to spend time with him and to love him. And the son says, give me what I deserve. And the son chooses to walk away. And how much that must have broken that father's heart to allow his son to make those foolish choices. Yet the father's love was still being extended. And today the father's love is extended 
to each of us. What that passage describes to us in Ephesians is the process of redemption. While we were still in our sin, Christ reached out to us, longing for us his most prized possession to be made holy and pure and blameless in his sight. And because of his great love for us, he planned to make us a part of the family. But do you realize how impossible all of that sounds? I mean, we're going to be holy. We're going to be blameless. We're going to be sons and daughters of God. It almost seems overwhelming. Why even try if you know you can't be all of those things? But then we remember that it is the grace of Jesus Christ that makes those things possible. And so we find ourselves back at the hymn, Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. Do you know how often we have looked to the eyes of Jesus, yet not really looked full in his wonderful face? We have looked to the eyes of Jesus just wanting a glimpse, just wanting a little piece of what he has but not truly looked full into his wonderful face. He has so much more that he wants to offer to us, so much more love that he is extending to us, and all we have to do is to simply respond to that grace. If you want to be holy and pure, then you must turn to Christ. You know, John chapter 6 tells of a time when many of Jesus' followers began to turn away from him. They were actually returning basically to their old lives. And Jesus looks to his disciples and he poses a question to them. He says, do you want to leave too? In one of those rare moments of wisdom from a young Peter, because usually when he opened his mouth, it wasn't a moment of wisdom. He responds with a question to answer the question. He says, To where would we go? What he's saying is we have left everything else behind. Where would we go? Which, by the way, after Jesus Christ is crucified, they figure out a place to go. They try to go back to their old life as well. But in this question, to where would we go, what he's saying is you are the best thing that has ever happened to us. If we go back to something else, we're settling for second best. I don't care how good it is, it is second best. The best thing that we have is you, Jesus, and therefore I want you. We're not leaving, we're not going anywhere. This is what we live for. The same ought to be true for us today. Christ is the best thing that's ever happened to us. Maybe you're not the finished product that you wish you could be. Maybe the Christian life seems harder for you than you thought that it would be. I encourage you, don't give up. God has great plans for you. He loves you and he will remain faithful to you the entire way through your journey. I know there are going to be times that maybe you're going to look back and you're you're going to think, but you don't know how unfaithful I've been. And the only thing I can tell you is his love is not dependent on how faithful you have already been. 
I'm not telling you that you're free to go and to sin and do whatever you want without accountability. That is not what I'm telling you. But nothing will separate you from the love of Christ. Nothing. Because his love is simply that strong. So I say it again, don't give up. You must continue this journey until the day that you die or the day of Christ's return. On multiple occasions, Paul compares the Christian life to a race. It's not a leisurely stroll. It's not a casual hobby. It is a relentless pursuit of Jesus Christ. And surely, if you will pursue him in this way, you will find him. And he will transform your heart. And guess what? He will even transform your actions. He will begin to, again, it may not happen overnight, but don't give up because if you continuously pursue him, he will transform everything about you. I will tell you that one of the reasons that many in the church do not experience the transformation that Jesus Christ offers One of the reasons that we basically settle for a little bit of the face of God. One of the reasons we settle for a life that still involves our past with our future being Christ is that far too many of us have looked at our Christian faith as nothing more than a hobby. We go to church on Sunday because it's something that we do. We might even tithe because we're kind of investing in our hobby. It's something that we're supposed to do. But far too few of us have said, this is what I live for. This is my heart. This is my passion. One of the statements in your bulletin this morning is that Christianity is supposed to be more than a religious hobby. It's more than just something to check off your list of things that you do occasionally. This is who you are. As one who has been redeemed, you are not an individual who is still enslaved by your sin and just happens to go to church. You are a child of God who has been redeemed and therefore you ought to be a new creation. Christianity, your relationship with God has to be so much more than just a simple hobby. It needs to be something you pursue relentlessly. But as you do that, let's go back again to that song. What is it that we pursue? It is the face of Jesus Christ. We pursue a relationship with him and allowing his spirit to truly be in charge of us. I don't know where you are today. Maybe there are those here today that are simply frustrated. You've been a Christian now for a long time. And you look at your life and maybe you question whether or not God's salvation is real in your life. And maybe for you, there's a legitimate question here. Maybe for you, you've never reached a point where you surrendered everything to him and you say, God, I need you. Forgive me. Make me whole. Make me new. Maybe there are others in here who you made a decision to follow Christ. But as you made that decision to follow Christ... You have done so more as a hobby rather than actually allowing it to be who you are. Regardless of where you are today, I want you to know that his grace and his love is being extended to you right now. And he is simply seeking 
a right relationship with his son and with his daughter. I'm going to ask everyone, if you would, to bow your heads and close your eyes with me. Father, as we come before you, Lord, we recognize that none of us deserves your grace. None of us deserves to be in a right relationship with you. But by your grace, all of us have the privilege of not only having our sins forgiven, not only giving us the hope of eternal life after this life is over, but you have given us the opportunity to be made new to walk in your freedom and to walk in your victory, never having to go back to the old way of life. But we come before you right now and we ask that you would forgive where we have fallen short. Where sin has taken root in our lives, Lord, I pray that you would, right now in this moment, you would set us free. Lord, I pray that as you set us free, that you would give us the opportunity to truly be transformed. Fill us with your spirit. Help us to seek you above all else. You tell us in your word that if we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, then all these other things will be added unto us. And we believe today that as we seek you with all of our hearts, Lord, we will find you and the things that we desire are the things that will please you. Lord, I pray right now that you would transform us from the inside out. Lord, give us a heart for you so that the actions on the outside truly reflect your goodness and your love. But remind us today of how much you love us. But right now, there are those in here who probably question whether or not your love can really reach out to them as far as they've gone away from you. Lord, remind us of your love. I pray right now that you would help us every day to sense your love being extended to us. Fill us and use us today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. I do want to challenge you and encourage you this morning that you are loved. You are loved by a God who is not going to change his mind just because maybe you didn't make the best choices today. But that's not an excuse to go and do whatever you want without considering his will. He loves you. Actually, Jesus tells us, if you love me, you will obey what I have commanded. You know his love is extended to you over and over again. I'm encouraging you, challenging you. Now you extend your love back to him by walking an obedient life. Not as a hobby, but let it be who you are. So, praise the Lord. Actually, uh, I want to celebrate. I hope you guys are celebrating today God's love in your life. I really, I get excited just thinking about it. And I know you guys are thinking, Pastor, just let us go. Now, I get excited when I think about how much God loves me. Because I know that there have been times that I have made some of the dumbest decisions in the world. Yet he loves me. Do you know how awesome that is? Thank you so much. 
for being a part of our service today. Know that God loves you more than you ever could imagine. Go in peace.